Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 the wlcc brandon faith talk tampa download the faith talk tampa app or listen on TuneIn and odyssey following is sponsored by verse by verse ministries and is pre-recorded three things that have to be in a man's life in our elders lives in my life if we are to be apt to teach if we are to qualify to be elders if not we should not be elders and we should admit that number one this man must have a knowledge of the word of god a knowledge of scripture obviously you can't open the bible and instruct somebody if you don't know what it's saying but the elders at the church at ephesus didn't know their bibles at least not the false teachers in fact if you'll turn back to first timothy chapter one and understand that this is primarily what paul has in mind is this historical context first timothy chapter one verse three as i urged you upon my departure from macedonia remain on at ephesus in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines here were men who were teaching strange things what strange things well nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith now these men were getting up and they were teaching some speculative type of knowledge myths and legends and probably just made up stories added on to the Old Testament genealogies and just what Paul calls strange doctrines rather than getting up and preaching the gospel the voice of Pastor Steve Kreloff, our teacher on these verse-by-verse radio broadcasts. As we continue to dig into the truths of 1 Timothy chapter 3, Pastor Steve is going to paint us a picture. So what picture is that? Well, it is a picture of a godly man, a mature man, sitting down with someone who opposes spiritual truth and then lovingly communicating biblical truth in order to correct that person. Paul is not giving us a picture of somebody standing in the pulpit and teaching the congregation. He gives us the picture of one who takes an individual aside and lovingly opens the Word of God to him. That is what it means to be apt or able to teach. Now, I've never thought of it that way before, but that makes perfect sense. It is understood that a pastor has to be able to teach the Scripture to his church but he also needs to be able to teach one-on-one if the situation calls for that. So let's jump into today's program with Pastor Steve Kreloff. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 22, you'll see the context. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels. In other words, refuse to get into hassles with false teachers over this. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, 
but be kind to all. Now watch this. Able to teach. That's the term. Patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Now this gives us some great insight into this word, and we have to go to the word to find it because it's not used any other place in the New Testament. We have to go to these two passages, First and Second Timothy. Now, what does that tell us? Here we have a picture of a godly man, a mature man, sitting down with one who opposes spiritual truth and lovingly communicating the truth in order to correct the opponent. Paul does not give us a picture of somebody standing in the pulpit and teaching the congregation. He gives us the picture of one who takes an individual aside and lovingly opens the word of God to him. That is what it means to be apt or able to teach. Now, I want to expand that a little bit. Because I really believe that this term implies that there are three things that are going to take place in a man's life if he is apt to teach. Three things that have to be in a man's life, in our elders' lives, in my life, if we are to be apt to teach, if we are to qualify to be elders. If not, we should not be elders, and we should admit that. Number one, this man must have a knowledge of the Word of God. A knowledge of Scripture. Obviously, you can't open the Bible and instruct somebody if you don't know what it's saying. But the elders at the church at Ephesus didn't know their Bibles, at least not the false teachers. In fact, if you'll turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and understand that this is primarily what Paul has in mind, is this historical context. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Here were men who were teaching strange things. What strange things? Well, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. Now these men were getting up and they were teaching some speculative type of knowledge, myths and legends and probably just made up stories added on to the Old Testament genealogies and just what Paul calls strange doctrines rather than getting up and preaching the gospel. He says in verse 5, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, and I believe he means the elders here, for some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. You know, it's bad enough to be an error, but to be dogmatic and an error, that's what they were doing. They wanted to be like the esteemed rabbis. That when people walked by them or when they walked by people, they would sort of tip their hats. Oh, how wonderful these are. But these men were proud, arrogant, false, heretical teachers who didn't know what they were saying, but they spoke with great authority. Kind of tells you that you could speak dogmatically and yet not know what you're talking about. And Paul wants the church to evaluate these men. See, the implication of 1 Timothy chapter 3 when Paul deals with all these areas is that the church is to evaluate the men because they were failing in these areas. I mean, when he says he needs to be a husband of one wife, implication being that you have men there who were not devoted to their wives. You have men there who were not hospitable. You had men there who were not prudent. And you had men there who were not able to teach. But Paul wants this church at Ephesus to evaluate their elders in light of their understanding of God's word. 
You cannot be an elder and be able to teach if you don't have a grasp of basic Bible doctrine. You have to have that. A man by the name of P.T. Forsyth has said this, The real strength of the church is not the amount of its work, but the quality of its faith. One man who truly knows his Bible is worth more to the church's real strength than a crowd of workers who do not. Very, very important. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, while my Bible translates it able to teach, it is not the same word, but the thought is there. Paul says this, chapter 2, verse 2, And the things, Timothy, which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. These are to be faithful men. Elders are to be faithful men who understand what Paul originally taught. He taught Timothy, who taught these men, who taught other men, who taught other men, who taught other men, and all the way down to 1987, to Lakeside Community Chapel, that we are to have elders who understand what Paul taught so that they can pass it on to others. It is a sad day in the history of the church that we have so many opportunities to learn the Word of God and men and women don't take advantage of it, especially men, especially those who are to be elders, don't take advantage of it. There's more confusion now than ever before. And there are more books you can buy that would help you, more tapes, more radio, more television, that you can listen to the Word, and yet people don't know the Word. There are men who know their business as well. In fact, there are many Christians who know their church constitutions better than they know the Bible. I heard the story recently of a church that was giving their pastor all kinds of fits because they were experts in their church constitution. And there was a little green book, and the pastor was trying to get the church back in order, and someone in a church meeting said, well, what are we going to do about the Constitution? And this pastor finally just had it with the church, and he said, are we going to follow a green book made up by men, or are we going to follow God's book, which comes from him? But there are many people who are experts in all kinds of things, but not the Bible. They may know a smorgasbord of Bible information, but there's no consistency there. They don't understand what Paul taught. They don't understand what the apostles taught. They don't understand how the Word of God fits together. And some of them have been sitting in church week after week after week, hearing sermon after sermon after sermon, but they have never really done a diligent study on their own, and that's how you learn the Word of God. Elders are to be men who are consistent in their theology. They don't have to go to Bible school. You know, that's a modern-day invention. It's not bad. It's good. Seminaries are good, but the Bible doesn't say you must go off to school to become an expert in the Word. No, no, but you do have to be a student of the Word. You do have to know what it says. You see, it's not enough to love the Lord. There are dear men who love the Lord, and they do anything for the Lord. But you've got to be knowledgeable of the Word. It's not enough to just visit people. It's not enough to hold their hands and pray with them. You must know the Word of God. That is essential. It's not just that you're faithful in the church. It's not just that whenever the doors are open, you're there. You must be a man of the word to be an elder. Secondly, not only is knowledge of the word necessary, but an elder must be devoted to the scriptures. Now, you might think, isn't that the same thing? Not necessarily. No. Let's look at Titus chapter 1. You see what I mean. Now, you understand that Titus chapter 1 is a parallel passage to 1 Timothy chapter 3. The difference probably being that Titus was there to ordain and appoint elders, whereas Timothy's job is to evaluate the elders who are already there. 
Titus is in a new work. Timothy is in an established work. But basically, the qualifications are the same. And in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says this. He's speaking about elders. Verse 5 tells us that, but verse 9 says he must be holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. He must hold fast the faithful word. That is, he clings firmly to the word of God. That's the picture here. He is one who in the midst of opposition that would tear him away from the Bible, he continues to hold on to it. That's the thought. People would try to pull him away. Philosophies of the day would try to pull him away. His own flesh would try to pull him away. Satan would try to pull him away. But he hangs on to the word. It's like he's hanging on to a pole and 15 people are grabbing his feet and tugging, but he won't let go. That's the picture here. In other words, he adheres wholeheartedly to the word of God. He doesn't just know the Bible, but he is committed to it. You see, elders don't just have Bible knowledge. They are committed to the word of God for a lifestyle. This man sees God's word as faithful. That's what Paul says, holding fast to what? Faithful or reliable word. That is, it's trustworthy. He holds fast to it. In fact, it is the only word for an elder that he considers to be totally trustworthy and dependable. Nothing else is like that. Now, this is very important for us, very important. I've been thinking in recent days about the sufficiency of the Bible, the sufficiency of the Bible. And I've been thinking along these lines that there are many men, good men, they love the Word of God, they believe the Bible, but while they believe it, and they say that it is sufficient for every spiritual need, they don't rely upon it for spiritual needs. They really don't. They confess that, they would be shocked to think that they don't rely upon it, but let me give you some illustrations. If they want to learn about how to work in a church, you especially find this in pastor teachers who run off to conference after conference, they're looking for something special. They're looking for a technique. If, for instance, John MacArthur pastors a church of 10,000 people, they go to that seminar thinking that there must be some trick that he's doing. I mean, you can't just teach the word and have 10,000 people come. What's the gimmick? And they're looking for a program. It's the same men who go to other Bible conferences, especially pastors' conferences. It's not wrong to go there, but it's wrong to go looking for something that's going to turn your church around apart from the Bible. Some technique, some program, some device that they hope someone will pass it on to them and they will learn how to grow a church. And yet these men would never seem to realize that they can turn to the Bible and find out what God says. Because that's a spiritual need. And yet they would turn to 20th century management techniques and skills to try to run a church. See, that's what we mean. A man like that doesn't understand that the Bible is sufficient for every spiritual need. If they have a problem in the church, they tend, these type of men, to seek psychological approaches to the solution rather than biblical approach. Now we're talking about spiritual needs now. We're not talking about that we can't learn from management. We're not talking about that we can't learn some things from psychology. We're not saying that. But spiritual needs and spiritual solutions are found in the Bible. You see, it's that attitude that says the Bible is, for the first century, it's not sophisticated enough for 20th century problems. Well, see, that kind of an attitude, in my mind, eliminates a man from being an elder. He's not committed to the word. If there is a financial difficulty in the church, they are more prone to turn to the Wall Street Journal than to the word of God for answers. That's what I'm talking about. An elder mustn't do any of these things. He must not turn to the philosophies of men 
to the thoughts of men, to even his own thoughts, his own business thoughts. Not that he can't learn from, but not for solutions to spiritual problems. He can't turn to the human inventions of our time for the solutions and spiritual direction that the church needs. He must be, in Paul's word, one who holds fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. What teaching? The teaching of the apostles, the word of God, the New Testament. An elder must believe that the Bible is sufficient to meet the spiritual needs of the church. So this is very important. Why is it so important? Will you look at the second part of Titus 1.9? That, and now he's going to give us the reason, that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Why is it so vital that this man, this elder, must cling tenaciously to the word of God and not let go? Well, he has to exhort God's people to obey the word of God. In other words, he must be able to motivate God's people through God's word. He's not a spiritual cheerleader standing on the sidelines saying, go, go. No, he teaches the word of God. He communicates the word of God. Sound doctrine. Exhortation is slightly different than teaching. He must be a teacher. He must teach, but he must be one who exhorts. Exhortation is different from teaching in the sense that teaching informs the mind. That there must be teaching. You must have an informed mind, but it must go beyond that. There must be the exhortation, the encouragement to obey what's gone in the mind. Teaching appeals to the mind. Exhortation would influence the conscience, the heart, the will, whatever you want to call it, to obey. And that must be the case. He must not only communicate what is sound in doctrine, but then he must be constantly exhorting God's people to apply the word of God to these practical situations in life. The term sound is very interesting. It means healthy or physically whole. It is healthy teaching that produces healthy believers. I hope you know that. It is healthy teaching that does that. That's why we teach the word of God all the time. But it is to be beyond the pulpit. It is to be that our elders, as they have contact with you and you with them, are to be encouraging you to put into practice what you have been taught. A congregation's spiritual health depends upon elders who constantly and continually exhort in healthy doctrine. That's why what I do on Sunday only begins the flow of things. That's why our men have to be reinforcing what is taught, not only here, but in their Sunday school classes. In other areas, they are to be doing that with you. You see, elders aren't men locked in a room who only make policies for the church. Now, that's part of it. But if that's all they do, and they're just another executive committee that never has any contact with people, then they are not really elders in the New Testament sense. There are a lot of, and I think I told you this, a lot of pastors, when I hear that they have elders in their church, I say, now, are these men pastors or are they just an executive committee? And most of the men that I've spoken to will say, sadly enough, and they don't know what to do about it, but they say, no, they're really not pastors. They're just policymakers. Well, elders are to be more than that. They are to be those who are continually encouraging people to do the will of God which means he must know how to effectively apply the Bible to everyday situations. Life situations, a variety of circumstances. He isn't only devoted to the word of God so that he just knows it, but also because he has to exhort the saints to do what's right. He must know the word and he must be applying it to their lives. But I want you to understand it goes beyond the believers. Look at the end of verse 9. And to refute those who contradict 
He's not only devoted to the word so he exhorts the saints, but he's devoted to the word so he protects the saints from false teachers and false doctrine. Look at the rest of Titus. Look at verse 10 and verse 11. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things that they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. What does a church do when false teachers come in? Or when people who are believers start teaching the wrong things in Sunday school or start passing out tapes that are an error and books that are an error and things like that, what do you do? Well, it is wrong to just rely upon the man in the pulpit and say, straighten them out. No, the elders are to deal with that. It is all of their responsibility, not just the man in the pulpit. Notice that Paul is speaking about elders here, plural. They are all to be involved in this. In Acts, we turn over, please, to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, verse 29, in fact, Luke records it of when Paul spoke to the elders from the same church, Ephesus, and warned them about false teachers who would come in. He said in verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in amongst you, not sparing the flock. And from amongst your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Be sober, he's saying, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to what? The word of his grace, the word of God, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Paul said, I've labored amongst you. I shed tears to protect you. Now it's your job to protect the flock. And I'm committing you to the word of God because that's what does it. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it's the same picture, verse 24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. And so that happens in a church a lot. Why do you think so many churches have gone down the tubes? Why have they accepted the philosophies of men and secular humanism? And they are sterile, even though they may be growing and they're large, which is not necessarily the sign of spiritual health doesn't necessarily say that there's not spiritual health either. But there's so much false doctrine in churches today, so much, because elders haven't protected the people they are called to protect. They are shepherds, and a shepherd's job primarily is to protect the flock. They are ignorant of the word, and when they are ignorant of it and they can't protect their flock, they're going to go down the tubes with them. In fact, just this week, I received something in the mail from a ministry, Ex-Mormons for Jesus. I came across this statistic. According to John L. Smith of Utah Missions Incorporated, the Mormon church makes 200 converts a day. Now, that doesn't surprise me, but what does surprise me is the next statistic. 60% of those converts claim Baptist backgrounds. Where were their Baptist shepherds? That's the question. And we can say the same thing for every group. Bible shepherds, Presbyterian shepherds, Pentecostal shepherds, every group. Where were the shepherds protecting them, keeping error out of the church? Where were they? I don't know. Maybe they did try. In many cases, I'm sure they didn't. If someone in our church starts saying that Christ isn't fully God, an elder needs to know how to address that issue. An elder needs to know how to take that man or that woman aside and open the word of God to them and show them out of the scriptures that Jesus Christ is indeed God. He must not bring them to the pastor teacher and say, take care of them, straighten them out. 
Or if someone in the church says, and this happens, that when we die, we don't immediately go into the presence of the Lord, but we're sleeping. That's called soul sleep. An elder needs to take that person aside and be patient and loving and open up the scriptures. And if they cannot do that, those basic things, and maybe they don't know it off the top of their head, but they know where they can get the information and go to that person. If they can't do that, then they cannot be an elder. They should not be an elder. We learned today that teaching appeals to the mind, while exhortation influences the conscience to obey. An elder must not only communicate what is sound in doctrine, but then he must be constantly exhorting God's people to apply the Word of God to the practical situations in life. Sound doctrine is healthy teaching that produces healthy believers. A congregation's spiritual health depends upon elders who constantly and continually exhort in healthy doctrine. I greatly appreciated today's verse-by-verse broadcast, and it would be worth listening to again. If you would like to do that, you can simply head over to versebyverseradio.org and sign up for the podcast. There is other great information available on that website as well. Again, that's versebyverseradio.org. And if you're able, please tune in for the next Verse by Verse broadcast. 